Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 32-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks we screen for here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news. But our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air. So we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, we've done a screen that we have done in the past. It's called the Magic Screen, kind of a classic value screen from the little black book of value or something like that. But But not from the Magic Bus. Not from that. That was uh, was the who, I think. Anyway, um, first a couple of important caveats. This show's for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, Mo and I are professional analysts during the week, but here on the show, uh, we're kicked back, we're... Just relaxing. Not and that we're unprofessional no, analysts. I'm when wearing we're not. a tie, in yeah. fact. But we haven't had a chance to do all the careful analysis that we do on the show. Um, in or fact, no, my no. motto is do as little work as possible here on the show. And you've lived up to that. I've tried to. And then third, um, and our lawyers say to remind you, we may not have your best interests in mind, so because do why, your own Why work. would we? Yeah, of course. Finally, and this has been particularly true this week, I have been... Heavily drinking. So, um, see all our caveats, disclosures, pictures our moms took, links to past shows where all our shows are increasingly indexed by dollar sign ticker, the value guys. If you type that into Google or into Twitter, you're apt to get a link to a show that talks about that stock. www.thevalueguys.com. Okay, everybody, it's uh, May 28th. We're back with another exciting show. Three Tremendous value ideas this week that came out of a value screen that thankfully is just a button on my fact set machine. Uh, But basically it is, uh, I printed it out, but it's basically rank return on capital, rank earnings yield, weight them equally, and then rank all the stocks. I think there might be one other criteria in here, but it could be balance sheet. Anyway, we ranked... The top 100 stocks out of, uh, I think, a couple thousand stocks in that universe. And we went through each and every one this week to come up with three exciting names, which I think a lot of listeners probably have heard about. First, Herbalife, ticker HLF, kind of in the news, Mo. Mm -hmm. Secondly, Quest Diagnostics, DGX, they do... uh, Diagnostic testing, kind of in the ascension with the aging of the population and all that. And then third, Yahoo, ticker Y-H-O-O. And if you thought Yahoo was dead, they're not. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we get to that, a favorite sector here on the show, segment I should say, the Value Guys Wall Street News featuring Momentum. Mo, thanks Val. Take it away. Um, a lot of stuff to, to touch base on today. Can we do a toast, though? We it's, can. Uh, we've been here, we here are. a long time today. Oh, Cheers. Easy on that glass. Yeah. Wow. Um, what do we got? Okay. New, we have a new Entrepreneur of the Week designee. You did that last week. We I did. Think. Remember last week we said there was this great company. They were, uh, they were, um, Dream Vacations and yeah. uh, they would rent you a disabled child Brought if you, go to, some sad if you memory, go to Disneyland to get you to the front of the line. Great <laughs> idea, guys. Very entrepreneurial. This week we've got a new one. It goes to Cornet, C-O-R-N-E-T-T, Google this, dash I-M-S. Now, they're an ad agency in Lexington, Kentucky. They've come up with this great idea of distributing ads around town. All right, This is in Lexington. Yeah. Kentucky. You know where Kentucky is. Yeah, absolutely. It's And uh, so they pay men $5 to walk around with a small advertising card in their beards. In their beards. Yes, they call it beard fertizing. Mm. Now, smart. If you think this if you think I'm kidding, Google cornet-ims and you will see the first thing you notice that the latest announcement is that A&W, the beverage company, is, has said that they have signed up as the campaign's first 
major business partner. <laughs> so beard for tizing. Look at it. It's a new trend, and you heard it here. Unbelievable. Ding. Unbelievable. That's a um, What else have we got? Um, here's one. You know, we've been talking about tax credits versus... Versus genuine cuts on the on the two sides of the aisle in Congress, and you know one of the things I thought was why not actually go read what some of these tax breaks are? Yeah, why not? It's free, right? Well, listen, I got a I got a bunch of them, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you two great tax credits in this bill. You read the actual? I've got it right in front word, of me. Word the actual from the government. It's okay. right here. You're looking at it. All right, amazing. All right. One is called Section 45. Section 45 pays chicken farmers to burn chicken waste <laughs> to produce electricity. Now, My cousin does that, actually. Chicken waste, normally poop, gets dumped yeah. in, dumped in, in the water, and it uh, you know pollutes the water. And so, rather than dumping this polluted water into rivers and streams, right. etc., that's a nightmare. They want chicken farmers to burn that excrement. Who wouldn't want that? Of course. And uh, they get a tax break for doing that it. Makes so and when much you sense. add that up, that's nine point seven billion no dollars a year Mo. to burn to burn chicken shit. <laughs> Can we say that on air? It's a technical uh, we're term. Unregulated, it's a technical term. But that is what I call a Wow. Yes, it's a That's a revelation. It's a chicken shit deduction. <laughs> to be technical. Uh, so good here's to know. One. Good here's to a, know. Here's another I'm gonna give you one All more. Right. It's called the domestic manufacturing deduction. That's one of the biggest tax breaks that are on the books. And uh, it lets companies deduct from their income tax yeah. 9% of the cost of manufacturing. 9% of the cost so that they're already nine, deducting. Right. But you get another, you get a 9%, you get a 9% deduction on your income. Or 9 for, 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 you get a reduction in your income, sorry. Um, if you, if you're manufacturing something in the United States. And what does that mean? First of all, it means that you, have to manufacture at least 20% of your product in the United States. 80% can be offshore, and you still qualify for the deduction. Okay. And two, here's what qualifies as manufacturing. Starbucks takes one for grinding coffee. Okay. Oh, yeah, hey, that makes sense. That makes sense. so much sense. Making it's hard to do. Making hamburgers is a form of production if you talk to McDonald's. Yeah. Making movies. Production. All production. So when you look at the when you look at the extent of this tax deduction for man, quote manufacturing, I'm using that term loosely, that is substantially manufactured in the United States, which means twenty percent. Yeah. If you look at how much that costs us, seventy eight point two billion dollars a year to the uh, favorite the beneficiaries of that. Absolutely, uh, that that's us. Rate. That's we. That's, that's where that money's going. Or where that money's not coming from. So, yeah, this is fun, fun reading. I've got a bunch more that I'm going to talk to you about on the next show. But, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an there's interesting enough, there's uh, enough vein in, there uh, to tap. Mo. There is enough in this bill to... Years of shows. Years of shows. Well, you, you've done, you have no more work to do. That's, so it's, um, you have reached the pinnacle. You're going to have to do... As little work as possible this now. Is, I'll tell you, this is going to be a hard Amazing. show to stop because the very first company we're going to do has got, was going to be highlighted in Wall Street News a few weeks ago. And it is the huge controversy about our first stock. So, go ahead. We're going to, uh, we're going to talk about Herbal Life. It came up in this screen, this magic screen, which I had it here somewhere, but I've misplaced it. But it's basically... You rank everything on return on capital, you rank everything on earnings yield, you know, E over P or something, or EBIT over earning enterprise value, what have you. And then you uh, you add those ranks together and you rank them on sort of an average rank. And Herbal Life uh, came up pretty high in that screen. Well, they were, out of uh, 100 companies that we looked at there, they were, I think, in the, in the 30s. And it was primarily uh, due to, you know, they have a very high... Return on equity, strong return on assets, very strong, and uh, 
Of course, there's a lot of controversy. You were going to bring it up in the news item at one point. So. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. You know that right now you've got two large uh, hedge funds that are taking opposite positions on on the controversy of Herbalife. That, that controversy being, you know, is it a real company or is it a... There's two big pyra- personalities. Is it a, is it a, yeah, and is it a pyramid scheme? Um, and you've got on one side that thinks uh, the, the, the company's a Ponzi scheme is Dan Ackerman. Okay, right. Um, and, yeah. on the, um, and on the, uh, I'm sorry, Bill Ackerman. And on the other side of the trade, you've got Carl Icahn, the 77-year-old, you know. Eccentric. Yeah, I guess he is a little eccentric, but he's also the father of, you know, corporate takeovers. And so both of these guys are, and, and this, listen to this, because this is going to be interesting to talk about the numbers. Ackerman... He said he's called Herbalife a, quote, a fraud, quote, a pyramid scheme, quote, a modern-day version of a Ponzi scheme that should be put out of business by federal regulators. (laughs) He then said to CNN and Bloomberg TV, quote, this is the highest conviction I've ever had about any investment I've ever made. Wow. Holy, come on. That's now, a lot what, of serious What, what base did he not cover? So on one side, you have this guy, and he is pretty damn smart, yeah. and his fund is pretty damn big. Yeah, right. Got to listen to that. And he is bought into the fact that Herbalife is a f- literally a fraud. Literally He's not a, pulling any punches on those No uh, sugarcoating that. Yeah. Right. So... Let's, and then what's uh, Carl Icahn saying? Does it? Uh, you have any uh, he's not, color he, on him? He's just saying no, it isn't, they and I not, disagree. Right. And we, there, I haven't read anything where he has sort of gone through and systematically defended the company or what they're doing. But you know the idea. He's just is putting up. He's putting up a bunch of money, right. and he's uh, getting he involved. Says, you know, so the controversy is: Are they just cramming distribution channels, and no one's there actually actually buying this stuff? Well, you know, it's he, a Ponzi scheme where I give you. You know, uh, ten bottles of this stuff to sell, and you give someone else ten bottles to sell, and right. someone else, and no one ever. And actually I give you buys a magic it. coin, and then I get it on my financial statements. So yeah. I, uh, anyway, well, so here on the value the- guys, we're going to dig into this controversy at Herbalife, well, and we see. may end up being completely wrong, but which that's wouldn't not be let the first time, us. <laughs> right? <laughs> or. Right. As, as we've said, um, often wrong, never in doubt. Often wrong. You know, we don't listen to the shows, and right. since we're heavily drinking, we don't really remember what we might have said in the past. And our wives are kind enough not to remind us. And we so, have good lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> so Herbalife came up on the screen. Whoa. And, of course, it's controversial, but it came up on the screen because it looks like a good value. Let me give you some of the stats. Seven times EBITDA, that's a 14% cash-on-cash return. 1.2 times sales, and it trades in a range of 2.6 on the high, 0.3 on the low. So it's about midway on price sales. Price to cash flow, 8.8 times. Okay, that's uh, some kind of 11%, 12% return on price. And it trades in a range of 3 to 20. So again, not exactly at the high end. Uh, price to book. Doesn't mean much here. There's no book. It's a bunch of desks and uh, fax machines, you know, over there. And on a PE basis, it's 11 times in a historical range of 24 to 4. So on those metrics, it looks pretty good. I swing over to the income statement, okay? EBITDA margins, very consistent in the upper teens, 16, 17%, 18%. Few companies are quite that stable. Gross margin, uh, huge, okay, 79.6%, 78%, within a 3-4 point range. And again, the stability of this is very uh, significant in the sense that it's rare. And so it looks like a kind of a cost plus model. They have some model in mind. And, uh, and it's consistent and it works, which tells me that without getting that pushback from customers on the demand side that affects price, these guys are, in effect, getting this consistent price. It suggests to me they have pricing power. Otherwise, things wouldn't be quite so consistent. In other words, they couldn't decide the price if there's a market price. And so they're they're giving customers a good deal in some way, if you look at it that way. Return on assets, <clears throat> again, they're asset light. They're putting up mid-20s, low-30s. They have some leverage. 
uh, four and five times assets to equity, but the business is very stable, so it can support that. Return on equity in the, you know, 100%, 80%, etc. So <clears throat> those are the metrics that are attractive to a, a value buyer. Sales have been moving up. Looks like they accelerated in the last few years. There may be a, an acquisition in here. I can't really tell. Long-term debt is up in 2012. That may have been something. But, you know, they have consistent EBIT growth. Even during the downturn, the Grand Recession or whatever we have, it was down only in one year, EBIT that is, in uh, in 2009 by, uh, you know, less than 10%, so that's not meaningful. And sales were flat in that year. So, you know, pretty good history. Unless Mr. Ackman is right, and this is all a wild fraud, which we're going to talk about, these numbers are looking pretty good, Mo. Well, that's what's interesting, in it, and it is something just to... to I talk about it for a second. You and I and the street can look at the numbers of Herbalife, and we will not really be able to identify the kind of fraud that the company is being accused of because it's not going to show up in the numbers. And what they're being accused of is stuffing the distribution channels. And so it's a pyramid scheme. I buy ten. Um, I buy 10 uh, bottles of your supplement. Mm -hmm. And then I I get, I recruit people, and each one of those people have to buy 10 bottles that they're ultimately going to sell. And they recruit 10 people. And the the concern is that no one's actually buying this. It's just more and more people are being brought into the scheme, and that's what's driving the pretend revenue. I've got the data here today, here on the show. I've got the data to right in disprove. front of me, and I've given it to you <clears throat> to address these issues. Right here on The Value, guys. We're a podcast. We're free. We are going to examine carefully. And go these. where no man has gone. Right. All right. Here yeah. we go. All right. It's in front of you. So, in front of me, <clears throat> and we normally don't do this kind of work, so I'm a little embarrassed, let me just say, about even printing this stuff out. But... What we have in front of us here, ladies and gentlemen, is complete and thorough financial statements on Herbalife. A complete income statement with every detail. Okay? They and also have a disclaimer <coughs> that sounds a lot like ours at the beginning of the show. It says right here, these for numbers are for entertainment only. purposes. Yeah, ignore that. Show? That's just a caveat. You don't think? They all say that. Okay. No. And then we've got complete cash flow statements. We know <coughs> what they're reporting. Or Unless Mr. Ackman is saying... The accountants are fraud. These numbers are lies. If there is truly channel it stuffing... It wouldn't be the first time. Well, for this company, it for, certainly would be, well, but it wouldn't be the first time in history, right. of course. But what we're looking at is the income statement, and cash the flow statement, and the balance sheet. Now, what Mr. Ackman is, is suggesting is that by uh, you know having people that are employees and selling them in product... You're really increasing inventory, and you're channel stuffing in some way, and you're counting it as sales. So let's take a look at this suggestion. Um, (coughs) On the uh, balance sheet I'm looking at, Mo, let's take a look at the flows of assets. Over the last five years, from December 07 through December 12, we're looking at annual data. Mm -hmm. Herbalife, first of all, the cash... So this is bank statements that show cash balances that hard, have been to face, audited yeah. by accountants. Right. That is up $160 million. Real money. Let's just talk about that right. first of all. There, keep that in mind. Accounts receivable. This is money that is owed to them. They have bills of sale, legal contracts, documents that show that people owe them about $60 million more than they've received. Those are legal obligations of the company. Inventory. Now, here's where, okay, we can have some issue because companies can put their own numbers on inventory. Their inventory from December 07 to December 12 is up $209 million. That's what they're suggesting. Mm -hmm. And let's just admit here on the show, we don't know 
They're putting, you know, the manufacturing costs, labor costs, they're adding it all up, inventory. I think a lot of this is just stuff they've bought somewhere, but they've assembled it. But let's assume that that number isn't right. Maybe that $209 million that they show for inventory is really zero. Let's just say that. Take it out. Okay, take it out. How many shares does this company have? Uh, let me try to find the number here. They have 118 million shares. Let's say that 209 million increase in inventory is a fraud. Okay. Lie. What's the it's effect? Not there. That you decline, reduce your estimate of the value of Herbalife by two dollars because that's how much we're talking about in inventory. And by on the a, way, on a forty-seven dollar stock. I don't believe it's a fraud, but let's just assume the worst. All those numbers for inventory, which are harder to trace than cash or accounts receivable, right. are fraudulent. <coughs> that's two dollars a share. So let's keep that in mind. We're going to deduct that from the value of Herbalife. Then we've got. <coughs> Other current assets, we don't know what those are. They could be things they've paid in advance or whatever. It's $50 million. Again, uh, that's $0.50 cents a share. Let's just assume that's a lie because these people at Herbalife conceivably could lie. So I'm going to deduct. I'm going to take another $0.50 <laughs> cents a share. That could be a lie. Then we look at the current liabilities. Over that period... Um, while current assets were up 480 million, current liabilities were up 325 million, and um, you know all of those are legitimate. Clearly, that is uh, all money they actually owe. So I'll accept that. Long-term debt was up only 70 million over the period. So to to back up, current assets were up 480 million. I'm going to subtract the 209 and assume that inventory wasn't really happening. So that's up 280 million. And offsetting that were increases in current liabilities and long-term debt of 400 million. That's a difference of about 120 million or a buck 20 a share. So assuming the worst for them, I'm negative a buck 20 a share. Um, and in the in the case of Mr. Ackman's accusations, I think that's all we really have. Mo is uh, is the, the you know the assumption that the inventory increases aren't correct. Now let's look at the sales increases compared to the numbers I just talked. Now about. just to go back to that for one second. Yeah, the inventory increases. This is where hedge funds use special, very specialized firms that go out and research this exact sort of thing. And you and I know that we both have often way too much to do to do that kind of tire kicking on a company. To literally send almost the version of private investor slash analyst out to spend time and identify whether that's a fraud. And presumably the, uh, there is a... are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I'm willing a, to give it. And there is a firm that has gone out and, and actually determined, presumably... That fraud, in fact, is happening, and uh, you can go look at Indigo Research and see what they have to say about this, because they're they're the source of a lot of what Ackman is uh, basing his short on. So, I just stay think, tuned. We'll, well see. I'm we'll see done. how the battle of the tide. I'm not done. Mom. You're going to tell. I'm us, not done. You're going to tell us. So I've got. If I assume the last five years, the increase in inventory is a fraud. Yes. That's two hundred nine million that I'm going to take away. Okay. When I look at their income statement, so this is sales that are reported. Mm -hmm. um, that num and sales are hard to fake. Um, now you can be channel stuffing, but that would mean that at some point sales growth would start heading the other way, or uh, productivity would go down. But we're not seeing any of that. We're seeing. Over the last five years, the same five years where I could question the $200 million increase in inventory, sales are up $1.9 billion. Okay. Gross income over that period is up, uh, let's see here, $1.4 billion in gross income. So from $1.7 to $3.2. SG&A over the period, another place where you could be, you know, hiding money by overpaying people or what have you or underpaying them. That's up 
billion. So uh, still lower than the increase in gross income. And EBIT growth over the period is up 340 million. So I'd say this: if the entire increase in inventory is a fraud, that means that EBIT over the period is roughly flat instead of up by 340 million. That means that EBIT in the current year is 340 million, and instead of selling at so that would mean it's half its current level. Mm-hmm. That's all that these accusations would mean, which, by the way, I don't believe. But that means that Herbalife is at 13 times EBITDA instead of 7, still within the historical range. And if you think of these products as an annuity, because they clearly have buyers that love them, uh, annuities right now, um, you know, the, the long-term treasury sells it, in effect, 50 times earnings. And so I would say... Uh, at at even 10 times EBITDA, 12 times EBITDA, this is cheap. And that's assuming Ackman is right that the inventory is a fraud, which I don't believe, my friend. May I just, End of story. May I just offer the fact that he is not really questioning any increase in inventory. Here is what he's saying. He's saying the company is a fraud. Now, I'm going to give you one more quote. In February, he told Bloomberg News that the stock, which was about 40 then, it's about 47 now, will go to zero. Zero. And he has bet more than a billion dollars of his own money on that conviction. So, to set the record perfectly straight, this is a guy who's saying, I don't care about what you're saying about inventories or what you're saying about your income statement or your cash flows. You, you, the basic premise of this company is fraudulent. And that is one of the things that's very, very difficult. I mean, ultimately, we'll know, but it's very difficult to prove because you you are assuming that you have distributors with with heavy-duty sales quotas put on their heads, yeah. and they are, they are forcing every one of their friends to become distributors and buy product from them, and those people are under pressure, and they're forcing their friends... That's true. But what if, is Coca-Cola doing everything anything different? In the sense that anyone who drinks Coca-Cola tells other people to buy Coca-Cola. If these sales numbers but are But at right, some point, someone consumes the Coca-Cola, and the concern is that no one at the, is finally ever consuming any of these supplements. They're just being passed on from one distributor to another newbie distributor. Well, here's what I do believe, is that it makes sense to become a distributor because you can buy product cheaper. So I do think that in their model, a distributor... Maybe is a, retail a customer. customer. Yeah. If but, assuming, assuming they're actually But here's what you them. need to rely on, in my opinion, and this is where I think Mr. Ackman gets a little bit beyond reason, mm-hmm. is that if they sell $4 billion worth of stuff, I don't know uh, how many distributors they have because I've done as little work as possible. Well, they have, they have 6,200 employees. I'm assuming most of them let's are... Let's say half just, of them are... Uh, nah, more than that. Okay. They don't have that much. So let's do this. $4 billion Four billion in sales, and how many people did you Let's just call it six thousand? Six thousand. So that's <clears throat> six hundred and sixty-six thousand people. Um, assuming all those sales, or I'm sorry, that's six hundred and sixty-six thousand right. dollars per employee. Right. So if and are, most of these are probably women, but maybe some men, I don't know. But let's say you're someone's spouse who's doing this. And you're buying 600000 I would suggest to you, my friend, that is not freaking possible right. because Good I've point. got audits of cash on the balance sheet Good by point. banks. And if people are honestly spending $600,000 a year on my product and then next year they spend another $600,000, then they're not in the same economy as us. Are they all... You know, or this our, stuff really works. Our only billionaire's kids are selling Herbalife. But he, I think that these sales are real. If they're coming from people who call themselves distributors so they can feel like they have a job, but really they're just watching TVs. And, and you know, yeah. I mean, so that's kind of where I come out. These numbers, Mo, don't add up. Because if your spouse were buying this much stuff and it was in your garage, I mean... 
where are you going to put your boat? My spouse <laughs> does buy that much. <laughs> well, you have an extra garage. <laughs> but most people, they're going to notice that kind of buildup in inventory. That'd be my opinion. So, Good point. Anyway. Good point. Uh, okay, that's a deep dive on herbal that life. Was. And, Who's uh, our, oh, quest. Quest that was. Who is our next quest? Quest. These these are the uh, Starbucks of blood testers. Yes, sir. They're uh, everywhere. DJX, it got through our magic screen. It was uh, fairly highly ranked. It's 8.6 times EBITDA. Call that a, you know, roughly 11, 12% cash on cash return. And for listeners that write in about that cash on cash return, it simply means that if we bought the company, we got all our friends, the enterprise value is $13 billion, so you need a lot of friends. But um, conceivably, the efficient market, you know, there's big companies. They can pull money together. Banks loan money for acquisitions. So there's some market force at work in keeping valuations, you know, reasonably fair. So you got $13 billion in enterprise value. If we bought that, we would receive... Uh, the EBITDA. Now, we'd have to choose if we want to invest in working capital or CapEx. I certainly understand that. But before we make those discretionary choices, or some of them are discretionary anyway, I'm going to calculate the yield on that. 1548 EBITDA divided by the enterprise value, 13.2. And that's 11.7%, and I think of that as a yield the uh, enterprise value over EBITDA being the inverse of that. So I got a, a roughly 11% return. Uh, I've got growth here that's apt to be, you know, 4 or 5%. So I'm looking at a 16, 17% total return. That's interesting to me. And the company is a leader in laboratory services for healthcare, diagnostic testing. That should probably gain share uh, relative to GDP. So it's cheap, and I've got some kind of predictable growth. So I like that more. Fair enough. Now, here's something that, because we're on the sell side of the equation, we don't do, but I know our clients do pretty carefully. So since we're analyzing a company kind of as investors, we're sort of like buy-side clients. What they typically do when they would look at a story like this, here's what many of them would say. They'd say, okay, Quest, there are 22 analysts that follow this company, and so they're really under the microscope. That's a lot of analysts yeah. we both know for a pun under the microscope. Kind of, yeah. Quest Diagnostics. Yeah. Good, Val. Very, very good. Thank you. Very Thank good. you. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you got 22 people that are watching this stock, and they have a target price of $60. It's already 62 almost $63. And so what we would do as, as, in, as a hedge fund kind of investors would say, anticipate a rating change. Yeah. This stock is now dipped below their target prices. Or above. Above, yeah, sorry, yeah, above right. their target prices. And it is time for them to start pulling back. Downgrading, good call. And the minute you get in front of one of these downgrades, especially a stock that's had a relatively good year this year, you could see some pretty good downside. And so a lot of people would do a little more tire kicking to figure out what the story is and then they would uh, then think about shorting the stock. So that's what I would throw in. And Val's rating the, uh, the ice box. I think the uh, the vodka ran out of ice. There hey, you Mom. are. Are you giving away my secrets? No, I was just wondering where you... Where oh, you I just, just needed to get a little... Oh, uh, listen to that. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what did I miss? Uh, Quest so nothing. I just I said that, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the rating change, but that's... Uh, that's a very good point. I kind of missed that. And the valuation is in the middle of its range, and actually with that... New information, model that you brought? I mean, maybe you want to wait on that one a little bit. So, next. Uh, finally this week, Yahoo, ticker, Y-H-O-O. And we're not exactly first to the story on this. It's gone from 15 to 26 over the last six months. And I think that's largely due to the uh, hopes and dreams that people have for the success of Miss uh, Marissa Meyer, who the president is a new president over at Yahoo, and bringing some changes. Um, and so, you know, if you think that internet advertising is on the rise, that would be kind of a thesis here. And if you think of Yahoo as a network, 
albeit not the best network right now. But, you know, there were times when these things moved around between NBC, CBS, ABC. I think of Yahoo as a network in the sense that they're going to get their share of Internet advertising. And you've got an executive that seems to be, you know, putting this thing on the mend. It's uh, 18 times forward earnings, not super cheap. 17 times EBITDA, which again, also not super cheap. Why am I interested? Well, I think that they can get the margin up quite a bit. They were putting up um, upper 20s margins. That's moving a little higher. I think they have an opportunity to start charging for a lot of services. They're going to clean up a lot of the money they're wasting on things. And so I think that they're going to see an acceleration in sales as they focus more on advertising and in stability in the EBITDA margin. It doesn't have to grow much. And that these guys are going to, you know, get a little bit of a growth rate and, uh, you know, see some, I think, decent expansion in earnings per share over the next few years. They may buy some stock back. They've got no debt, basically. Uh, a nearly 70% gross margin, a 36% EBITDA margin. And when you start getting a lot of cash flow with these numbers, it can be transformational in the sense of share buybacks, acquisitions, what have you. And I think we're we're finally on the mend at Yahoo. So yeah, fair enough. Now, just like we uh, just like we mentioned on uh, on Quest Diagnostics, when one of the things I always sort of look at when I look at a stock in general is I look at how many analysts they have because we've said this on other shows. Sometimes with these stocks that come up and there's only four analysts that follow it, there's there's a reasonable chance that something is going to be missed, that these guys are being you know followed by four smaller firms that basically want the investment banking business, and they're not going to kick the tires very hard. So the, 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 the data is a little more questionable when you don't have that many eyes scrutinizing the company in the balance sheet. So the first thing I look at is how efficiently is the company looked at, and that's a function of analysts. And, and Yahoo has 26 analysts. That's a, you know, that's got to be in the, the top 5% of companies that have that many analysts that follow them. And of all those 26 analysts, they have a $27 target price. That's only a dollar up from here. So again, this is at least if you're looking at ratings and you believe that stuff, they're currently have the stock ranked overweight and it's now within $1 of their target. Watch, there's going to be a rating change on this unless there's new news. And that could mean that this stock could run out of gas even if the fundamentals get a little bit better. It was up 23% last year. It was up 31% in, in 2013. Um so, ooh, I don't know. Warning sign. Warning, Will Rogers. Now, let me just add, let me just throw a little something in there. Now, <clears throat> I agree with everything you just said, Mo. But the ray of light that instead of analysts, because we've both been in these jobs, sometimes when stocks start to get some momentum, momentum, the are get not price momentum, but business momentum. The returns are getting better. Sales per foot are going up. The sales force is getting more productive because you're on to something with a product or what have you. Then when the stock starts moving toward your target price and all the everything's moving forward, what do you do, Mo? You raise your target price. You don't want to get in front fair of enough, this. Fair enough. So, so another, way to, well, another way to interpret the same possible imminent ratings. Because you're about to get some increases in target price. And the reason I suggest that versus in the other company where I actually caused me to change my thoughts, in this one, in the last three months, we've seen, according to this, you know, 24% increase in estimates for the 2013 year and the 2014, just in the last three months. And when you look at the chart on the stock, it may be that you know, no one was out rushing to raise their target prices because the stock hadn't yet reached the target prices they already had. So when you're a sell side analyst, you know, sometimes you kind of let the thing approach your target because you want to call victory yep. and then raise your target price again. So you get all the attaboys. You get all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Good so game. I yep. think that might be going on here. Not that we've ever done that. I've read about it. Yeah. I had a friend that at Disneyland that did that. I had a friend that's done that a few times, too. (laughs) So, anyway, that's everything this week. Uh, Three exciting value names that came out of our magic screen. A little drama. A little drama there. 
um, and a refresher to my glass. So thanks for listening in. Or no, wait. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Whoa. Got way ahead of myself. We are coming up with walking through national economic trends, but of course, as usual, we've got to go print that out. So hang on. We will be right back. everybody with paging through national economic trends all the news you need about the world US economy the world and everything else at the st louis federal reserve free great economic material economic material as interpreted yeah of course they make a lot of this up we have to realize right. that so uh, i don't know did anything jump out at you uh, well you know you, you you can't you can't look at any federal or national economic trends without talking about the news today, which was that the new Case-Shiller index, you know, came out, and that that is uh, probably considered to be one of the most accurate indicators of what's happening in the house price of housing. Yeah, market. fair enough, sure. And uh, they said that sales, new inventory sales, were eleven percent sales prices, and you know, led by prices, prices led <clears throat> by the usual suspects, Las Vegas. Uh, there was some. Um, I think there was some stuff out in California, um, and uh, maybe Florida was on there. I don't know how the big worst big markets are continuing to recover. Come back, so uh, that that had a big impact on the market today. And what's interesting is we've had a very hot market, and every single economic trend that has come out in the last week has beat expectations. Every single one of them has been positive. So that's not to say that we're going into you know a roaring economic recovery but it is you know it is there is growing evidence that the economy has been stunningly resilient much more resilient than most people thought it would be given the shock to the system of the housing crisis that you know the financing crisis and all that all at once so that's you know that's another brick in the wall as it were of good news well bear in mind not to throw water on that but the federal reserve is printing money well they're printing it over at the treasury and then they're buying $85 billion worth of true. stuff a month. So let's do the math on that. $85 billion times 12, that's a trillion, just rounding. And the GDP of America is roughly, what, $15 trillion, $14 yeah. trillion. You lose track. That's uh, 7%. So to the extent the markets are up 7 or 8% or housing prices are up 7 or 8%, you got to say... Well, aren't you just giving us the extra money somehow to do that? So, I, you know, I think you got to think about the pump priming has got its place. Um, But even the Fed now is rethinking, you know, they're at least talking about beginning to talk about the conversation of the talk about maybe stopping. The conversation, which would be, yeah. 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 So, uh, but no, it, it is it is good news certainly yep, on the surface. That's so. been happening. Um, well, um, <clears throat> I had uh, what have you got? Well, I had something I wanted to talk about, which was on. I don't know if I'm going in numerical order. I don't know if that's yeah, something to do. I'm just, the page. I'm on page six. <clears throat> if you want to follow along, but this is the breakdown of real GDP growth. It's interesting because there's a lot of. Concerned about the slow growth of GDP, and I'm concerned about it myself. Um, you know, I think it has a little bit to do with tax rates and uncertainty about what the law is and things like that. But a little bit of good news is that part of this whole sequester thing has been the forced reduction of government spending. And in fact, it's been going on longer than people think. So there's a little breakdown here. Since the third quarter of 2011, <clears throat> excuse me, the reduction in government spending has been roughly, I'm just going to say on average, I'm eyeballing it here, roughly half of 1% per quarter yeah. annualized has been the effect of the shrinking of government. Well, that's not going to continue. So at some point, 
this negative 50, you know, half of 1%, 50 basis points, reverses out. And we're seeing... A so you lose a negative drag, but also at the same time, when you don't have government pulling out and you have some of the government-related industries starting to start back up again. Yeah, it doesn't go to zero, right? Right, exactly. Um, that can be a big positive, So, too. right, over the next couple of years, yeah. I think, you know, that could begin to be wind at our back, and, uh, and so uh, GDP growth might start to get back into that more normal area. So that's on page uh, six. And then I also wanted to point out... Um, Something on page uh, 12, debt service payments and household debt outstanding. Between 2007 and now, the percentage of household income that has been spent on paying down your debts has gone from 14% of your income to 10.5%. And this is during a period where we know household income hasn't risen much. So that's a 30%, nearly 30%, a little over 30% reduction in those interest payments. And then you see below that that we've been in a six-year, five-year period of debt reduction. It looks like it's about to go positive. So right as the negative drag of government spending comes off, the negative drag of households paying down debt's going to come off. And that's where I see the next couple of years being a little more uh, growthy than people might be. Well, right let, now, me, let me ask you a question, because this is the part of the show where we talk about apocalypse now. And, you know, stuff that, at this point, this much drinking leads to just crazy thoughts, right? Here's maybe a not a so crazy. Night. Here's maybe a not so crazy. It is a long night. Yeah. I don't know what, what we've been doing. I guess uh, maybe a little too much work on these stocks. Uh, what do you mean, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> You're taking a cab home. I am. Good. I will be tapped. And I will be the designated thinker for the rest of the show. (laughs) Excellent. Go ahead, Mo. All right. So here's here's another one of these big, big, big picture trends, which I find interesting. And it goes back to, you know, it goes back to the mid-1980s. And we had said on the last show, one of the things that really has been a market driver is that in the 1980s, interest rates were 10%. And then in the 1990s, they dropped down to 6%. And then, you know, 10 years ago, they were 4%. Now they're 2%. That big decline in interest rates has really been a big part of the fuel of the the stock market uh, rocket. But this is another trend over that same period of time, which is equally impressive. In the 1980s, corporate profits as a percentage of GDP were 8%. They went up to 11% in the 1990s. 12% 12% 10 years ago, they're now 13% as yeah. they peaked out. And so, wow, when you talk about the perfect storm for a light, almost a lifetime of a bull market, you can't ask for more than declining interest rates <laughs> right. and rising corporate profits. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, we have an intern starting this week, and I... Feel sorry for I him. I don't want to tell him <laughs> that it just gonna, ain't going to be what it was, my friend. Have you thought about the entertainment business? <laughs> well, um, we're in the entertainment yeah, business. Of course. So, no, that's a very good point. Um, I just had one final one, and I don't want to rain on anybody's parade here. But here on The Value Guys, we have been consistently giving you the information about the uh, economy. Here. One week in advance. In, well in advance. We said, last week, we said last week, do you remember? We said last week that Case Schiller, go back to last week's show. Yeah. We said Case Schiller is going to going to come in at a 12%. You growth. said that. You predicted that. I did. That. I did. And, and that's that was what right happened on. this week. It's almost as if we were here Twice. recording that show a right. little while yeah. ago. Yeah. Uh, no, but here's what I wanted to point out. Housing starts consistent. Everyone worried about it, but it's been consistently going up. Very resilient, Mark. Mo talking today about mm-hmm. the prices going up. You know, eventually... Demand uh, leads to price increases. And here's what I want to say. In the last period, we've had a little bit of a decline because building got a little ahead of sales. It's been real good, um, but now building has gotten a little ahead of sales here. we got to watch out. I think housing may take a little dip down. And I had one other metric on that. Um, I'm not. Oh, here it is. Is it here? No. There's one other metric in this book about that, but it's basically fixed residential investment. Maybe this is it right here. It's starting to move a little bit down off the peaks, and so 
housing has been a great engine here while government's been weak. As you heard earlier, I think government may flip around. Housing could soften up a little bit. I just okay. want to lay a little caution so, in. So um, keep my keep my place, my penthouse off yeah, the market. Yeah, don't be a flipper. Don't be a, don't flipper. Be a flipper. Okay. Well, that's the end of the show. Again, uh, we've managed to uh, persuade you to waste uh, a good hour of your time here um, with the value guys. I think we got to go back and now give a favorite stock. Uh, I even forget what we were looking at now. We're, uh, uh, let's see. I think, uh, Mo, I'm going to choose, um, and this is going to be controversial, so look for this in the newspaper, Herbalife. That's right. Val Hughes, going on record, recommending Herbalife at, at $47 a share. This could be a career changer, Mo, right here. If I don't get this one right... I may never work again on Wall Street. And in an unprecedented move on the Value Guys show, as opposed to picking my favorite stock, I'm getting on the other side of this trade. Oh, no. I am. Other side of the trade. So here we have it. You know you've got Ackman versus Icon, and now you've got Val versus Mo. Oh, my God. So thriller in my office. (laughs) You got it. So All stay right. tuned to as this drama plays out as over the, the next. World turns. Yes, yes. Stay tuned. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening in, and everybody, you've heard it. The uh, historic controversy over over Herbalife continues here on the Value Guys. As we've Stock thrown in our hats, we're throwing to in. the ring. Watch the news. Uh, see all the information that comes out moment by moment on this controversy, as well as anything else we've been working on at www. The value guys.com. So long, everybody.